And then there's the whole position gate, and I sort of want to get into that. As long as you don't call it position gate. I have it written down as position gate. If you could really not do that, I'd appreciate it. Out Go with position Gazi. You got to get updated. <laughs> oh, God, it's going in there right now. Position Gazi. <laughs> yeah, you got to get the new stuff. The new meta. Straight from the Straight Red Plex, you are listening to Straight Red. I am your host, Jeff Ross, and with me, as always, a man who said he has never used a C battery in his life, <laughs> Alex Kibler. Alex, don't those go into flashlights? I don't understand. Most How of my that... flashlights take D batteries, but what's funny about batteries? this... Okay. The C battery is like the forgotten battery. Actually, that's probably the B battery. Is there such a thing as a B battery? I don't know. Probably. But if there is, it's forgotten. But C's maybe only slightly so. My mother, when I was Mm -hmm. home, when I was home over maybe like October, November last year, my mother had these really, really nice artificial candles that looked more or less realistic. Like, it took me, like, literally 30 minutes sitting on the couch to realize it wasn't a real candle sitting over there. They're really fantastic. There you go. 30 minutes? 30 minutes. They're they're phenomenal. They're called Luminaras, and they don't pay me to say that. They're really amazing. They pay you to say that. And I mentioned it to my mother. And for Christmas, my mother provided me with one Luminara candle. It's actually in my hand right now as it's sitting on this table that I'm sitting at right now. Uh, and as you'll see here on the bottom, it calls for two 1.5-volt C batteries. And lo and behold, what did my mom purchase me alongside the candle? D batteries. <laughs> Jeff, how many times has a gift been given by an adult to a young person and the wrong batteries were provided with said product? Well, well as a percentage, as a percentage, how often does that happen? As a percentage, a percentage of what? As how a percentage of all percentage? those battery-operated gifts given. Seven. Like, how can you have a percentage for I'm that? saying it's going to be quite high. It happens a lot, although I am amused by the fact that you still regard yourself as a young person and your mother I am 30. <laughs> like, and yes, in no means an adult. An adult. <laughs> you were also an adult. You can get your own batteries. Come on, look at a gift horse in the mouth. But the good news is you'll finally use a C battery. I'm excited about that moment. It's finally. I had a tape time. player when I was a young man that took C batteries. I don't know why I remember that it took C batteries, but I vividly remember that it took C batteries. You know, we do this a lot, and by we I mean me, and a lot as in every time yeah. where I throw some random thing at you. Yeah. Response. But my favorite ones are when they're random, but you have some unbelievably invested opinion about. There's it. a deep-seated emotion for me around C batteries. I did Deep not seated. see that coming. Speaking of things that we didn't see coming, Oh, Alex, my Lord, Jeff. I can't even. How about these USA Guatemala games? Alex. <sighs> there were two of them. And I'm glad we waited, by the way. Me too. I, I think, I think had we else. recorded this podcast on Monday night, as we normally do, we would have had far... 
I'm not sure there would have been quite as much intelligent conversation. <laughs> well, I, I think we're uh, overselling what this one's going to be. That's a fair point, yes. Um, <laughs> Gingers, if you weren't paying attention, there were two... How, how are you not, first of all? Have we taught you nothing? But... Clearly. Um, two crucial u.s men's national team world cup qualification matches these matches determine which two teams from our current group in world cup qualifying make it to what we call the hex or the hexagonal which is the final round of of uh, world cup qualifying where six teams compete for this three slots allotted to our confederation going into these two matches against guatemala we were in a situation where Having not lost to Guatemala since 88, is that correct? 88. 1988. We're thinking, hey, you know what? At worst well, case, our listeners aren't even that old. No, yeah. In fact, I'd say probably a fair amount of them aren't even that old. Um, you know, hey, worst case scenario, four points. Best, you know, expected result of six points. We're more or less going to lock up the hex right now. We don't have to worry about the final two matches. We'll be into the next round. We can try out some new players. It'll be great. And then Friday night happened. Jeff. Mm-hmm. Where do we even start with this, first of all? Well, well let's start with the scoreline. Hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, Gingers, if you didn't see either of these, I just don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with <laughs> we you. We expect more of you, first of all. Expect more of you. But we lost that first match in Estadio Mateo Flores. And see? we lost to Guatemala for the first time since 1988. 2-0. Mm-hmm. Two, Alex. We looked terrible. We really did. Now, here's the thing. Terrible. I don't want people who go and watch the highlights to say, oh, yeah, those were two sloppy goals, but I'm sure they looked okay otherwise. They didn't. Oh, no, no, If, no, no. if all you watched oh, were the highlights man. and all you saw were the terrible sort of mental breakdown goals that happened, um, I don't, I don't want to undersell how poor the performance was against Guatemala. There was zero energy. Mm-hmm. Zero initiative. Mm-hmm. Many players were played out of position. If you look at the position that they play for their club teams, um, it was an absolute dumpster fire from start to finish, especially in the first half. Um, the two goals that we conceded, yes, they're complete and total mental errors. They should, they're goals that should never have been conceded. You know, you know, mixed discruit should never be in a situation where he's the last line of defense off of a set piece between you and a goal. That's he's not so the small. player that mixed discruit is. It's just not. He's so small. That's not the player that he is. He can play a good part for you in a certain situation if you're you're in Klinsman, but that's not the role that he plays. But more importantly, what an absolute nightmare by the back line allowing that second goal to Carlos Ruiz. Uh, ball Gingers. played. It was a goal kick. It was Carlos, an assist from the goalkeeper. <laughs> Carlos Ruiz, who may be old enough to have grandchildren. He, uh, I think he is. Was an MLS Golden Boot winner, an MVP winner, in 2002. Yeah, he won the Golden Boot 14 years ago. He was teammates with Alexi Lalas, who's probably better known now for being a commentator. Yes. That's how old this man is. That being said... And this is one of the many frustrations I, and for that matter, you and everybody else have. He's a known quantity. All of these people know Carlos Ruiz. He played in MLS on three teams. Uh, three? Yes, three teams. Uh, he's play, he, you play him all the time. We play Guatemala all the time. You know what he's going to do. You can't be caught unaware by a man who, in reality, is 35. I don't understand how we give up that goal. I don't. 
I, I, I've, wa- I've watched the game live. I've looked at the highlights after the fact. I've read the articles. All of it's inexcusable. Alex, I am putting this loss at the feet of Jurgen Klinsmann because I don't believe that we were set up to succeed. We were 100% it's, not set up to succeed. I agree with you. And even with these same players, I'm not even talking about, oh, you know, could uh, Jorge Villafania done better? I think he could have, but he wasn't there and he wasn't called in. But even with the players that you have, you could have done better. And I think... And I know he's been fighting it since then. The position issue, which you've already mentioned, I think that matters. I think, I think it, does. it 100% matters. You know, Jurgen Klinsmann mm-hmm. was asked in a press conference not too long after this um, about the positioning of his players. And, and his quote, he said that he said twice, is that he did not believe he was playing any players out of position. I guess what I would say to that is that by some counts, if, if you're looking at where these players probably feel the most comfortable playing, you had as many as six players during the course of this match playing out of position. A, someone asked him that question in German because he clearly does not understand the English word for position. But B... <laughs> That's so rude. But B... Uh... <sighs> Is he, is he so arrogant that he believes that he can dictate what a player's natural position and comfort level position is, regardless of where they've played more or less their entire career in the, the case of a Jeff Cameron or DeAndre Yedlin, who were both played out of position? Does he really think that he has that much insight that he sees them for 10 days a year and he can make that distinction? I think there were two things going on here. One, there is that, uh, I'm going to call it overconfidence, but really how different is that from arrogance when we're all really talking about it? And two, I think there was an underestimation of Guatemala. We said it on this very same podcast before these games that for Guatemala, this is the World Cup. They've never qualified for the World Cup. So playing big against the United States, this is like their biggest game that they're going to play. They, if you're a betting man, they're not one of the teams coming out of this thing. Correct. They're not going to make it to the next round. Um, so they're coming out there giving you everything they've got. You can't in that game decide like, ah, let's, you know, let's play with this a little bit. Let's experiment a little bit. It's like, no, no, no. They're going to come at you hard. And it's at home. It's in Guatemala. And yeah, they did. They came out fast. They, 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 they shocked a U.S. team that wasn't comfortable. Uh, for you gingers out there who are like, oh, who cares You know, if you're a left back and you have to play right back or whatever, um, why does it matter so much? I, I'm going to make a comparison to basketball, namely because it is March Madness right now. Imagine you've played your entire career. You play forward. And then coach says, for one game, you're going to play center for us. Do you know how to play center? Probably you've played basketball your whole life, but you don't play that position. You don't practice in that position. You don't have your reps in that position, and you're not going to be the best option in that position. When you're moving these players around where they don't play, I'm not saying they never have, but where they don't normally play, it's like they're out of their comfort zone. Then you add into this the fact that they're away from home. You're in Central America in a hostile environment. It's a recipe for disaster, and we saw disaster. That's what we saw. It was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Unmitigated disaster. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, isn't, isn't Guatemala ranked like 93rd in yeah, the world? Yeah, they're barely in the top 100 in the world um, before these matches were – anyway. What I would tell you is this as well. It's really, for me, it's about instinct. 
as a as an athlete, which I know very little of, but I'm assuming as an athlete, you know the couch really well. I know a box of wine and the sofa really well. But as an athlete, all the repetition that you gain by playing a certain position over and over and over again, and the instincts that you have about knowing where you can go with the ball, knowing where you can't go with the ball, knowing the next move that you can make because of where the players around you might be, mm-hmm. is all negated when all of a sudden you're playing out of position. If you're playing a position that you're not comfortable playing, that you don't have muscle memory playing, all of a sudden every small little decision that you have to make is a big mental exercise, and you find yourself overthinking a lot of the decisions that you make. Um, DeAndre Yedlin has been cutting his teeth in the English Premier League now for an entire season, playing the last, I think, 14 matches in a row for Sunderland, yeah. or some, something statistic like yeah. that. It's amazing. And looking pretty good for looking a bad pretty good. team. And he's become the first choice right back for that team. All of the work that he has done in developing himself and building those game instincts as a right back is absolutely just thrown out the window the moment that you decide to play him anywhere else. I don't care if it's right midfield and it should be similar, big sarcastic air quotes. The comfort level that you have as a player in a certain position vanishes when you leave that position. Yeah, you you know how soccer works, but that's about it. I agree with you 100%. You get used to th- – if you want to do this, if you want to try these players out of position or whatever, do this like during January camp where you have these guys for weeks. Do this when you can really, really work with these players. When we've got a game that counts and you only have these guys for a handful of days and also with these European players that had to fly in, they're jet lagged, they're on a whole different time schedule and now you want them to do like, hey, work your brain, do this differently. Also, we're going to be in Central America. It's going to be 90 degrees in the dead of night. People are screaming obscenities at you in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Oh, also do well. We're not, set up to, we're not set up to succeed. So needless to say, this game goes 2-0. We looked pitiful. Horrible. We look like we didn't belong in that match. Which Big loss. In CONCACAF, realistically, the only time that that should ever happen is when you're playing Mexico in Mexico. That you oh, look- for us? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the only match where I would say it's acceptable. I still don't like it, but it's still acceptable for us to look out of sorts. Yeah, you're not going to burn the, the, the pitch down if that's the case. But this reminds me of the play uh, of the game we had against Jamaica in the Gold Cup. Like, what is going on? Why do we look so out of place? So this once again, Gingers, as I'm sure you noticed, brought up this question of fire Jurgen Klinsmann. I think... I think something to keep in mind here, and I think something that we've finally come to realize after, what, four and a half years, five years of Jurgen Klinsmann? Not quite five, but we're getting there. Almost five. He signed in 2011, but I think it was the fall. I'll look it up later. Is that Jurgen Klinsmann does not view the mentality and the work rate and the mental well-being of his team as his responsibility. In Jurgen's mind, it is not his job to motivate that team or to hold that team mentally accountable. It's his job to hold them tactically accountable, but not be that role of a motivational speaker in negative times where it's necessary. He's demonstrated this in press conference after press conference after press conference where a team that has no business losing to a team like Guatemala comes out completely flat, looking confused, looking like they don't understand what they're supposed to do. And I've said it on the show before, either you suck talking about your plan 
or your plan sucks. It's one or the other. If you haven't made clear to these players what is expected of them in these specific roles, then why are you starting them in these roles? Why are you playing them in these positions where they're not set up for success? It's a very good question, and I've had this theory for uh, quite a while that Jurgen Klinsmann just does not take CONCACAF competition seriously. He just doesn't. And it hurts us. We, we seem to be not prepared to play these teams. And he's been a coach. If this was like year one, if this was like 2011 or 2012, it'd be like, okay, he needs to adjust and just get used to, like, this is the way it is. This is 2016. He's been coaching this team for almost half a decade. You need to know whether you think much of Guatemala or not, you have, these are the teams you have to get through to qualify. If we don't qualify, all this talk about going to the semifinals is just, it's vanished. It's meaningless. You have to get through qualifying. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to be able to beat Jamaica. You have to be able to beat Guatemala. You have to be able to beat Trinidad. I know these teams are not world beaters. Trust me, I know. I've been watching this team for quite a while. I'm aware. But we have to deliver. And the only team it's like, I agree with you, the only team I think it's acceptable that we struggle with is Mexico. And even them, if we look at our recent record, we should be beating them too. We should. Here's the thing. He didn't learn this lesson lesson in 2012, losing against Jamaica. He didn't learn this lesson in 2013, losing to Costa Rica. He didn't learn this lesson in 2013, losing to Honduras. He didn't learn this lesson in 2014, losing to a whole number of teams leading into the World Cup. He didn't learn this lesson in Jamaica in the, in the Gold Cup last year. At, at some point, you have to understand, yes, you have a position-by-position, position, tactical, physical, athletic advantage over every player on that pitch. But here's the All thing. They've been playing this style of soccer their entire lives. They understand viscerally what their role is in a team. Very, very, they're very comfortable in how they want to play the game. Look at Carlos Ruiz. His job is to be a nuisance, and he knows what his job is, and he does that job very, very well. Perfectly. How do you think he keeps playing? He can play until he's 104 years old, the way Carlos that he plays Ruiz soccer. has 60 goals for Guatemala. The rest of the team that they trotted out had like 22. Yeah. Like, that's all you need to know, and that's why he's still playing at age 35, because frankly, they don't have a better player. Marco Papa still plays for this team. This is who Guatemala is. Those are their two best players. Mm-hmm. We should be beating them all the time. So, Alex, we have to fast forward, of course. Yes. There's a second game. Now, here's the thing. If we had recorded this podcast on Monday night, the entire show might have been in that sort of mental vein in terms of frustration. But Well, well I think we're both still frustrated. Uh, 100%. But, but things aren't as Thank God as we didn't record this last night. Because we have the following news to report to you, had you not watched television last night, Gingers. USA 4, Guatemala 0. This doesn't even look like the same team to me. It didn't look like the same team. From moment one, this team was aggressive, athletic. They were in the face of Guatemala the entire match. They did not let off for one millisecond, especially in the first half. I feel like Graham Zusi was brought in specifically for the, co- the concept of, okay, Graham, your idea is you're going to go and frustrate the hell out of anyone trying to hold the ball for, for Guatemala. And, and what it allowed by bringing in Kyle Beckerman, you Ooh. know, I, I had the— We could talk about the, just <sighs> that 
for like a half hour. How We're not thankless, going to. but yet how important is it to have a true defensive center midfielder on the pitch? Because right now there's not really another one in our camp that we can rely on in the way that we can rely on a Kyle Beckerman. Kyle Beckerman... Kyle Mac- Beckerman might be getting calls when he's 44 years old, playing, hey, bro, what, uh, we, we need this win down in Costa Rica. Uh, what are you doing this Saturday afternoon? Yeah, how, how are your knees? How, how are your knees feeling right about now? Because Kyle Beckerman plays that role that allows the entire rest of the front five, which in this match start, consisted, at least at the beginning of the match, of Zussi, Bradley, Zardes, Dempsey, and Bobby Wood. To go about playing the game that they know that they want to play. They know if Kyle Beckerman is in front of those two center backs, they don't have to worry about a certain segment of their responsibilities because they know that Kyle, certainly you can play the play of your life and get past a Kyle Beckerman, but any sort of simple ball, the type of which, two of which, beat us in Guatemala City, very simple, straightforward balls. You know that those things are not going to happen if Kyle Beckerman is back there. You know that he's going to take mop up and take care of anything that happens in terms of straightforward play. So what that means, if you're Zussi and Bradley, you go balls to the wall and you go right at the defense of Guatemala, and it paid off in spades in this match. What we saw was exactly what you expect to see, first of all, against competition like this. You expect to see three, four, five goals against competition like this. You expect to see Michael Bradley harassing the opposing defense. You expect to see Graham Zusi harassing the opposing defense. And it's because, you, like you said, you have a proper defensive midfielder on this team. Here's my worry, though, Alex. I love Kyle Beckerman. And I know our Real Salt Lake listeners love Kyle Beckerman. I think any American should love Kyle Beckerman after this past World Cup, yes. But we don't have another Kyle Beckerman. No. And Kyle Beckerman, correct me if I'm wrong, is 33. He is 33, and by the time that the World Cup rolls around in 2018, he'll be 36 years old. Oh, just due to the date it'll happen? Yeah, he he turns uh, 34 later on in April. Oh, perfect. So I'm I'm not trying to get everybody alarmed here. Uh, but like this is a man who could be retired by then. It, it, that's very true. I, Although I would also your scenario say this, of where they give him an emergency phone call that could happen, <laughs> this is a man that could be retired. I, I also think this. You know, there's a lot of of there is quite a, an interesting youth movement happening right now uh, in the U.S. men's national team. Um, you you have some younger players who've been getting significant minutes. Bobby Wood certainly. Not amongst the, you know, certainly a, a great example of this. Uh, a lot of these players right now are out at uh, under twenty three Olympic qualifying, of which we do not yet know the results of that match. So it's literally happening. It's literally right happening now. as we're speaking. Um, but I would also say this: despite the fact that you have the Bobby Woods and the Christian Pulisics of the world, who cap tied, uh, cap tied, at some point in this match. We got up three nil, four nil. Jurgen was like, "This is it. This is the moment." And this we may never, we may not see him again for two or three years. But that's that's neither here nor there. Christian Pulisic is a U.S. men's national team player, not a Croatian t- uh, men's national team player. Let that be forever written in stone. But what I would tell you is that, despite the fact that there's a lot of excitement around some of these younger players. Mm-hmm. There is not a direct replacement for Kyle Beckerman. It's a concern. 
it's a concern because we've seen how we play without him. And this isn't the first time that Kyle has mismatches. There are times he hasn't been called in, times he's been injured, uh, times because, let's face it, he gets cards. There's times where he's been suspended. Um, we struggle without him. Sometimes Jurgen will play Jermaine Jones in a similar position. That doesn't solve the problem because he's also a thousand years old. Like, that's not going to fix that either. We need, and I don't know who that's going to be right now, Gingers, but we do need somebody who can pick up that work rate. And we just, we just don't have somebody right now. Either that or we need to change, we need a different formation to play. Uh, we need to do something else. Because with Kyle Beckerman in, you're, you're seeing the, the, the proper flow of play for these guys. And you're getting the kind of result you expect to get against a team like Guatemala, who looked out of sorts at this game. But they're supposed to. Yeah. You know what I mean? We are supposed to be a vastly superior team. So 4-0, we got Dempsey, Cameron, Zussi, and your best friend, Josie Altidore, uh, all got on the board. Uh, my only, Dem- here's, the, here's the thing. My only complaint with that Josie Altidore goal is that look where Christian Pusilic is standing. Oh, he's, he's not letting him shine. He's the obvious pass out of this situation. And I'm going to contend that I don't think Clint Dempsey meant to pass that ball to Josie Altidore. He just misplayed it, and Josie oh, was standing in the right spot. There were a couple um, of those. I think if, uh, if Clint had, had picked his head up, it's Pulisic's goal all the way, and it's a dream start for Christian Pulisic. Um, but, you know, Josie Altidore, doing what Josie does, a, a goal that has no keeper in front of it, and he decides to go upper 90 because Josie be Josie. I know, I know, you, I know <sighs> you hate Josie Altidore. I don't he, hate Josie he's, Altidore. He's climbing the list. Uh, he just, this is his, I believe it's 30th World Cup qualifying match. He's the youngest U.S. player to reach 30 matches. Or th- this, yes, he now has that record. He's climbing the, the, the all-time goal list. The stats disagree with you. I, I pick on you a lot about it, but I have a lot of the same feelings, okay. frankly. Because when, like, when you watch Josie play, you're like, come on, man. Like, come on. But when you look at the numbers, his numbers are fantastic. They're fantastic. Yeah, they but who else had fantastic numbers? Dempsey. Dempsey has now scored more World Cup qualifying goals than the legend Landon Donovan. Yes. Congratulations, Clint Dempsey. And climbing, uh, uh, climbing the all-time score list himself. Pretty close to Landon Donovan. Clint Dempsey, though, is another player not, yep, that when we get to the World Cup in 2018... I just he'll be it, 35 years old and is he still going to be able to score goals at the rate that he's doing now I'll tell you I have far far less worry about forward than I do about you know the defensive midfielder role right because um, we have other forwards we have actually a fairly capable group of forwards I I think if if you know here's the thing Josie Altidore is going to be more or less a shoe in before there's another player who has his specific ability to play hold up play the way that Josie Altador does. Because, yes, other, these other goal scorers can score, goal, score goals. Jordan Morris can score goals. Bobby Wood can score goals. Aaron Johansson can score goals. It's not a problem. But when you, when you play the type of, of play that the U.S. does, where a lot of the time when you're defending, you're either up in the face of a player, and if you do force a turnover, what you need is that mm-hmm. forward to be an outlet for your your defense meaning you play the ball to that forward he holds the play up until the rest of your players can get into position in the attacking third to go ahead and make that play you do not have a player like Josie Altidore 
in the player pool right now who can do that. Jordan Morris is a little bit physical, but he's nowhere near the level of a Josie Altidore. No, no, he's not. And he's not as big. He's not as big yeah. as a guy. Uh, and for those gingers who are wondering, where is Aaron Johansson? Uh, he's out for the season. Yeah. Injured. This is quite sad. Uh, other players like that, Terrence Boyd, seems to still be hurt, has been hurt for a while. That's why you haven't heard his name in a while. Uh, but there are other forwards. Uh, Jerome Kiesewetter, who I have faith is going to turn out. He's right now playing for the U23s. Uh, I think that's thing that's general to keep an eye on. Kyrie Shelton, first-team ginger. Could become somebody. We'll see. These are still very, very young men. I'm not too concerned. I don't want to see Dempsey go, but he's also 33. <laughs> he's 33 years old. And At some point, he's going to go. Well, it's not so much the will. Like, he'll want to play. It's like your body's going to quit on you eventually. Yeah. Uh, and it won't really keep up. But I, do, I wouldn't be surprised to see, well, Dempsey's almost certainly going to be in the Copa America. I'd be surprised not to see him. In the Copa America this Yeah, summer. I would be shocked for that as well. So we got three points when we should have gotten four. That does put us back to, well, not to the top, but it puts us at number two in Group C. And we have two more matches to go. Uh, we've got a match against St. Vincent and the Grenadines yet again. And, and, and importantly, if, uh, you know, Thankfully, Michael Bradley, who picked up a yellow card in this match, the 4-0 victory against Guatemala, yeah. he'll be missing for the St. Vincent match. And if, if, there's, if you're looking at this group, if there's one team that you're okay missing a Michael Bradley in, it's going to be the St. Vincent and the Grandines match. Um, uh, they've scored three goals and have had 19 scored against them. They yeah. have a negative 16 goal differential. So you're feeling okay about that? Feeling okay. Uh, that's in September, early September. That's the second. And then we have another match uh, against Trinidad and Tobago. That'll be a bit tougher, but that's being played in the United States on September 6th. After that is the Hex. And then this this whole qualifying thing, this drags on until 2017. Yeah. Just so all of you understand that at home. This goes until October But really, what you're looking at right now, though, is if you get four points out of a game against St. Vincent and the Grandines, which they are in by no means remotely on the same stratosphere that you are in terms of athleticism, and if you get a draw against Trinidad Tobago, which that's a solid team, then you're in the hex. You don't have to worry about it. The, right now, the hex is the goal, and I think the reason yeah. that you got all these fire Klinsman articles is that, you know, after the the loss in Guatemala City, is that because all of a sudden, if if we had lost this match at home in Columbus, oh, now you've got a problem. Then you have a legitimate, you have not just a legitimate chance, but you have more or less guaranteed yourself that you're not going to qualify for the World Cup. Which, if you're Jurgen Klinsman and you're on the record as saying that you're going to raise the level of play and that you're going to make sure that this U.S. men's national team gets to the semifinal of the 2018 World Cup. That's his promise. Not qualifying is not an option. Well, you get fired. You get That's fired. That's the only realistic... I know there's a lot of fan scenarios where we want Klinsman fired. But the only realistic scenario where Klinsman gets fired before his contract is up is if he does not qualify for the World Cup. The U.S. has qualified for every World Cup since 1990. Literally, no other nation can say that. Yeah, we, we have the longest current qualifying streak of any nation, which is amazing. That's, that's something we should be proud of. Considering some of those teams that we're talking about that qualified, yeah. yeah. Spain, Italy, England. Th- these teams have not qualified have, have as recently missed. as we have, yes. 
they have missed. None of those teams have a streak like we have. Now, admittedly, they have to qualify out of Europe. (laughs) Godspeed, yes. (laughs) It's a different challenge. We basically have to keep up with Mexico, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, At that point, you're you're pretty good. But as you can see, we we end up in these scenarios where we're getting these little frights and scares that happen against teams that uh, have no business. Well, CONCACAF is a wacky teams. region. I mean, it is. We, we like to use the term get CONCACAF, you know. It happened to Ethan Finley. It happened to Ethan Finley tonight. Ethan Finley, that was, two yards mind, onside. Just, Ethan that, Finley has a goal for the U.S. Best National Team, in my opinion. Close it's to not be. even close. It That no, is a horrifically abysmal call by that referee. If you assume. My thing is, here's, here's my thing. Just put a goal down for you. Not only is he behind the defender, he's behind Josie Altador when the ball is played. It's a back pass, technically. Also, Josie Altador also onside. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Be- whole thing's ridiculous. Whole thing's ridiculous. Ethan Finley, be- U.S. men's national team goal scorer in my book. I- absolutely. Scored at home in front of his, t- his crowd. That's a damn shame. It really is. But are you surprised, Alex? No, CONCACAF. Hashtag CONCACAF. And there were a lot of bad calls in this game. I know I got on your case about a different game, an MLS game that was refed. But this one, was, and for both teams, by the way, this wasn't just us. It's like for both teams, these calls were a lot of missed things. There was an offside call that wasn't called, (laughs) even though the assistant put the flag up. It was. That was was bizarre. This is really, really bizarre. Really bizarre. Uh, but that's because they're bad. I don't think it's a scam. I think it's just they're not good at their job. I, I really mean, do. yeah, you're probably right. Oh, remember that he said that, everyone. Remember <laughs> that he said that. So, Alex. Yes. Jurgen got it back, right? He put people where they needed to be, mm-hmm. got the right players on the field, got himself a win. Do you want him fired now or later? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, eventually he's going to leave. Oh, absolutely he's going to leave. <sighs> My thing is is that I think the thing with Jurgen Klinsmann is that Jurgen Klinsmann is going to – because he has some moderate understanding of how to play technical soccer – we're going to sort of achieve just enough that he's going to keep a job through this World Cup cycle. We are not going to go to the semifinals this World Cup. I think that's a pipe dream. I think unless something dramatically changes with a lot of these younger players, and I will give Jurgen Klinsmann credit. Jurgen Klinsmann, the technical director, focusing on the youth development of, of the USA, has done a tremendous job. I just wish he wasn't the U.S. men's national team coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that let's let's be very plain there when we're talking about this. But I would also say this: at some point, you have to learn to expect more from your men's national team coach. I think U.S. soccer as a as a as a federation has long been contented, saying, "Yeah, we're going to lose here and there to a Concacaf team. Yeah, we're probably going to lose half the games we play against Mexico." The days of us having this huge gap against these teams is over in terms of player talent level. Where these players play indicates that. We have a lot of of top 10 European leagues represented in our starting 11 against Guatemala. For me, the conversation should not be around how dare we lose to Guatemala twice once away and once at home. The conversation should be around, how dare we lose to Guatemala 2-0 in Guatemala City? That's a joke result. 
That we have joke, no so. business losing to them. So that my is thing joke, is, so. under, under the current regime, Jurgen's not going to get fired for that. And I don't think Jurgen should get fired for that if you're going to stay consistent with what we've sort of learned. But I would also say this. We should expect more from our, our men's national team. We absolutely should. And I would argue that fans have expected more since 2006, since yes. the 2006 World Cup cycle. Um, I don't think Jurgen will get fired unless, of course, he doesn't qualify. I really think that's the only thing. I think that's the only thing. Unless there's some sort of, I don't know, betting incident. Like there would have to be some kind of scandal. Uh, anything short of that, he has to fail to qualify and be the first U.S. coach since 1990 to not qualify for the World Cup. And that would get him fired. Otherwise, he coaches through that cycle. But moving forward, I think there's going to be an even shorter leash on what uh, what will be acceptable for results from a, from a U.S. men's national team coach. I do want to agree with something you said, though, and it's about the development of the youth. He has, or at least appears to have done, some good work with making us have like a proper youth development series uh, uh uh not series but like a proper youth development possibility happening we seem to have players who are playing a bit more technically uh that that does seem to work and if we look at jürgen's past being the german head coach a uh, german manager i should say uh briefly the manager of bayern munich that also seems to be what he contributed there was he made their system better like their youth system better but all of those teams fired him mm-hmm and then they all did a lot better after they fired him. Yeah, they did. And I think, and I that's think because, it's because – well, it's because of what you're saying. I think he's not that great of a man manager. No, he's not. Not remotely. And I think what you're going to see is that as things continue to progress, the plans and the and the backroom deals and the, the, the sort of the, the fail-safes and the systems that he puts in place are going to be amazing. They but really if you're going to count on him to walk into a locker room, these players haven't seen each other in three months. If you're counting on him to walk into a locker room and an away match in a CONCACAF game and be able to motivate those players to go out and play like they did last night against Guatemala at home, you're a crazy person. He's not that manager. And I think we as Americans... We associate greatness with that type of leadership. All the great coaches that you hear of spoken about with such reverence were that type of leader. They could, they could get their teams chomping at the bit, regardless of their tactical prowess. They could get their teams chomping at the bit for the smallest of games. And I think that Jurgen Klinsmann is the antithesis of that. One piece of credit I want to give to our most recent previous coaches of Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena, and they had their own issues. Don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming that these people are beyond reproach, but they had teams with lesser talent on their roster. Significantly lesser. Punching further above their weight, if yes. you just look at a percentage here. <laughs> like they, they had teams that were like Landon Donovan and a bunch of scrubs. Yeah. And they were they were really bringing it to, to teams you've heard of with names you've heard of. They were really out there making it happen. And I think it's because they were better motivators of individuals. Well, they did a great American thing of they got their team fired up. Exactly. However, those teams weren't as technically gifted. They weren't as creative. 
they weren't as entertaining to watch, especially Bob Bradley teams. Bob Bradley teams were very boring to watch. Um, so we, we did get some things different. We just, we don't have it all. And I, I'm looking for, or, and I know you are as well, Gingers, and you, of course, Alex, I'm looking for a U.S. men's national team manager who knows the technical stuff, knows the creative playing, but can get these guys fired up to play. And I don't, I don't know who that is right now. I don't know who that would be. Like, I like Jason Christ a lot, but I don't know if he's that guy either. I don't think he is. Um, I, I, I don't know who you bring in. You know, honestly, probably Jesse Marsh is that type of guy. Jesse Just Marsh look- is that guy. Caleb Porter is that guy. Peter Vermees is that guy. Oh, Caleb Porter. Boy, see, the thing that I would love about a Caleb Porter coach, U.S. men's national team, is one, it would have, like, the weirdest ragtag group of players would be called in. <laughs> It would be this patchwork group of guys. Well, I think that I think the opposite. I think what if you gave Caleb Porter a hell of a roster? Oh, I just think the people being the motivator that Caleb Porter is. I I don't. I'm not saying like the players wouldn't be available. Just the the players that Caleb Porter would want would just be you. You wouldn't expect it. Like the roster that Caleb Porter would want would be a roster you wouldn't expect. And then they would just they would just play out of their goddamn mind. They would go nuts. Anyone who convinces Pep no Guardiola not to shake his hand is a man in my book, and I appreciate that. <laughs> there would be a single national team <laughs> editor who would even like they would they wouldn't shake his hand. They would think everything he's doing is underhanded. Oh, that'd be entertaining. And I can see Jesse Marsh just based on how he's coaching the Red Bulls, who I would say on paper are not the most talented team. No, not but remotely. I'm thinking of that match that happened a week ago. Where like down in the ha- at halftime they're losing and like very badly. I don't know what he said to them. I really don't, and I would love to know. But they come out and they turn the whole thing around. Yeah, you wish you could bottle it. I mean, that's that's the type. Maybe they can just get Caleb Porter for the p- halftime speeches. Then again, Caleb Porter coached our U twenty threes that did not qualify for the two thousand twelve. Uh, the so I mean, there's that. Yeah. So and Jason Christ is currently like an assistant or something. But what um, it makes you wish for is a coach that has sort of Jurgen's eye for talent and technical prowess, but has the ability to go into a halftime team talk and really affect some change. Because I don't think that Jurgen's that guy, and I think eventually, if not sooner rather than later, it's gonna it's gonna bite us. I think it's already biting us, frankly. And when we go to, and I still think we are going to qualify, but when we go to Russia in 2018, we're going to be up against some team. They're going to they're be slapping us around for 45 minutes, and you'll really need somebody to get these guys fired up, and I don't think you're against that guy. I don't think he is either. I don't think he is. But with this talk of MLS coaches, let's talk about that handful of MLS games. Yeah, happened. we had a few games, Gingers, over yeah, the cut. over the weekend. Um, let's just go through them really quick. NYCFC won, New England Revolution won. This game, the turning point for this game was really the red card that happened earlier on in the half. Uh, the on second brand, half, straight red. On brand, straight red. You know, it's one of those it's one of those challenges that if you had looked at it last year should not have been a red card, but it is consistent with how this league is officiating these cards this season. They're, they're being cr- consistent. They are being consistent and they're cracking down on this type of challenge. So you 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 can't fault them for that. It, it compared to last year it's soft, but compared to this year it's right on brand. So, uh, you know, here's the real problem. 
NYCFC flirting with these ideas of, of overclogging the midfield. Something that you normally want to do when you're up a man, especially in a league like MLS, is you want to play with the full width of the pitch, and you want to get out wide, you want to contain, you want to make sure that all of these New England defenders are sort of inside of you, meaning you, you want them to be playing with their backs to goal and you on the outside, and you can really play with the full width mm-hmm. of the pitch. And all of a sudden, you, you don't have that ability when you play the sort of congested midfield formation that NYCFC likes to play. For large sections of the second half, despite the fact that City was up a man, it didn't really look like it. If you watched this game and you didn't know that, that New York City was up a man, you would say, which team is up a man again? I'm not really sure here. It was that type of game. So I've watched this match. Obviously, I wasn't in the stadium. I was watching it on TV. NYCFC is up a man for, what, let's say 40 minutes? Almost 40 minutes. Because this this straight red came pretty early in the second half. And I've got to say, one, hat tip to New England. Oh, yeah. 100%. You keep your composure. You know, you guys focus up. You walk out of there with a point. Considering you're down a man for 40 minutes, that's a good match. Obviously, you always want more, but that's a good match if you're if you're New England. This is a bad result for New York City FC, and the reason why I think it is such a bad result is one: you had almost a whole half you were up a man. Mm-hmm. Two: you're at home. Three: this is exactly how matches looked a year ago. Yeah, exactly. Where they would be up a man, or it's just very clear that they had all the possession, or they had all the passing, or whatever, but they can't finish they can't finish i will give patrick vieira the the credit of even saying like this is not good <laughs> this is not that like, we didn't play we were outplayed uh and these aren't the kind of results you can have if new york city fc and you know this better than i would alex but i would hope that the team itself namely the front office is aware of the fact they're like, you have a fan base that's fairly new. Some folks came from other teams, sure, but you have a fan base that's fairly new. And you made all this noise about we're going to make a switch, we're going to make a change in, with coaching, we're going to change out a lot of players, we're going to do all this stuff because we're showing you where we're, we're going for it, we're gunning for it. And then you have a performance that looked very familiar. Yeah. That's got to be a concern. It is gotta a concern. It's got to be a concern. I think the thing to keep in mind, though, too, is that this neither team was really at full strength, but I would say that the changes to NYCFC were probably more impactful. Despite the howler of a game that Mix Discrude had against Guatemala and Guatemala City, Mix has been pretty important for NYCFC this season. Um, in addition, uh, young Ronald Matarita is away on international duty as well. So I don't think it was, you know, losing Lee Wynn for... for um, New England is certainly a blow. Yeah, it hurt them. It, it but hurt they, them. They still but got they out of still, they still, still played pretty well. I think, I think that NYCFC was probably less themselves because of those players being away for international duty than, than New England was. Um, but yes, I, I think if you're, if you're New England Revolution, if you were to tell them that they were going to be a man down for 40 minutes in the second half and they got out of there with a point, that's, that's, a, hell of a, that's a hell of a victory. Home victory, uh, hat tip to them, their team, and the game planning. They, they kept it together. They did not look defeated. Yeah. They looked like they, they knew what they were supposed to do. NYCFC uh, off this weekend, then they play Chicago Fire. So, I mean, there's, there's points to be had, but we'll see how that plays out. Can we just very briefly talk about this D.C.-Dallas game? Yeah. What I want to say about this, first of all, D.C. United nil, FC Dallas three. Three! There's a few things to keep in mind here. One, this is what athleticism buys you in MLS. 
Mm-hmm. DC United had, frankly, the run of the play. They were the more creative team. They had, especially in the first half, they had more of the possession. Um, they looked the more threatening team. And, and really, besides the handful of goals, there wasn't a lot of great build-up play by, by Dallas. But here's the thing. You don't need that build-up play if you can outrun the other team like Dallas can. And how were people surprised by this? This is what they did last year. Yeah, and, and it gets them results on the road. You know, and, and, and let's face it, in the offseason, Dallas had a great offseason. They somehow reloaded. Yeah. They have more offensive weapons than they had before. Yeah. And they're showing it. Uh, Dallas, three wins, one loss. DC United, zero wins. I think if you're a DC United supporter, what you need to hope is that Ben Olsen can coach these players on, on how to get the ball off of their damn boot. I'm looking at you, Fabian Espindola. I think what's happened at this point is that the game that DC United plays is actually a fairly attractive one to watch. But I feel like what happens is they get into the final third, and then one player decides that they have to do everything by themselves. And oftentimes, it's Fabian Despindola. He's more guilty of this than anyone, I think. And you're, you're trying to beat five guys instead of playing the obvious pass off to someone, and you give the ball away. And I think... Despite the fact that you've had the, the, the lion's share of the possession, you wind up in these situations where you're, you're basically watching, if you're Rolf and Nagel and Sarvas and Niarko, you're watching Espindola try to beat five guys by himself and score, and, and why? Why are you doing that? Why is that the strategy that you're settling for? Uh, Alex. Yes. Can you put Oscar Pereja on my list of potential U.S. men's national team coaches? Done. I know he only coaches children, but... <laughs> He's a youth coach, really. But, it, I mean, that is also his background. <laughs> but he's got FC Dallas playing out of their mind. That being said, they do have talent. I'm not claiming that they, they don't have talent at all. But a lot of these guys are very raw, very young, very inexperienced. And, of course, you have Maxi Uruti, who it's a shame was, uh, Portland was not able to hold on to him. But uh, MLS being MLS, also get paid. I totally understand why he would want to move on. Uh, he has been fantastic for them. D.C., though, this is a home game. Yeah, three goals against you at home. Yeah, I mean, it's a real shame because here's the thing. Until Marcelo Sarvas got sent off in the 66th, you, you arguably were the better team in terms of like how you played the game. But... You couldn't get out of your way in the finishing third, and, and it cost you. Um, um, and FC Dallas, they're going to be dangerous in the West, I think, all, all year. They are. Although, a case in point for how a team that can score goals at will can be sort of silenced, Vancouver won Houston Dynamo nil. Surprised by this result. Uh, me person. too. I, you know, I think Vancouver is going to be solid this year. I think they're going to find things together. But I, I think the bigger question here is, how on earth can you hold Houston scoreless they they seem like a you know a goal machine earlier on in the season and the thing is that if you watch this game they look like they could have scored some goals it wasn't that they kept them from from any build-up play but you saw great individual 1v1 defending and you need that if you're going to play against a team like houston houston had 17 shots in this game it it wasn't like they they're not trying (laughs) it's not like they aren't out there uh but this is the type of game that every team's going to study the film from this Right. Because you're going to need to know. The thing you have to keep in mind about this, though, is that of those 17, seven of them were off target. And if I remember correctly, a lot of them were nowhere near target. Yeah, Uh, they were far off. (laughs) And they had five blocked shots as well. So it's a matter of of forcing Houston to take shots that they don't really want to take, snatch the ball from longer range, from less favorable positions. Um, 
you know, yeah, they had five shots on goal, but Vancouver had six. So, I mean, it, it's a matter of that's the type of game that you want to play. Houston is going to want to shoot the ball. You need to force them to shoot the ball in a place that they don't really want to. Here's what I'll say about Houston. They need to shore up that defense. Houston has scored more goals than anybody all year. They've scored 11 goals. No one's even cracked uh, double digits yet. I know the season's young, but no one else has done it. Yeah. But there's eight goals against. Like They're giving up a lot. They've only won, even with their 11 goals, they've only won one game. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, come yeah. on. And then all of their away matches they've lost. You need to get better results out of, out of the quality of play that you're seeing out of some of your offensive talent. I agree. It's early, but we, we need to see some more. So we've got only a little bit of MLS news. Yeah, we've got a couple bit. of things I want to, want to sort of so just touch, touch on, on briefly. The, then we have to move on. But David uh, Beckham's Miami mm-hmm. MLS bid has announced that they have purchased or are in the process of purchasing land, private land, for the, the construction of an MLS stadium. This is a big deal. Huge deal. Don Garber and the rest of the owners' uh, association has decided that you know a, a stadium is is sort of step one to getting yourself included in the conversation to an expansion team, and and they're not willing to make an exception for David Beckham, despite the fact that he's already getting a discounted expansion rate. That might be why they're not willing yeah, to make an exception, as they should be. Um, so, I think this is huge news because I think it, there was always sort of the the question of. At some point, is David is David Beckham going to finally give up on this notion? And mm-hmm. I think finally the resounding answer is no. There will be MLS in Miami in the near future. So this this deal it is a big step forward. Um, there's a large swath of private land that they are now either in the final negotiations of or there's a memo of understanding or something. Like they're very very close to having that done. My understanding there does still need to be some public land. That needs to be negotiated, so it, it's not a total done deal, but it is a huge step forward uh, towards making an actual team. Once you have that land, you don't actually need the stadium just yet, because you only need to show MLS that you've got a plan, <laughs> that you're going to build one. You can play in some other stadium for a couple of seasons. Uh, we've seen this many a time. It's like, oh, you're actually going to play in some football stadium for three three seasons, and then your 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 stadium opens. Because I know people sit there and say, like, well, if you get the land today, you know, you get everything through approval in Miami, maybe you can start construction next year. It's probably going to take two or three years to build this thing. Like the, the team won't start until 2020. I doubt it. Once you get this land deal done, I wouldn't be surprised if this team's ready to go by 2018. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's going to be a matter of as long as you have the plan in place that this can can is certainly going to happen all of a sudden the ownership groups will look the other way in terms of like yeah you might play and so and so stadium for a few years you know it's just that's just how the game works yeah they'll look they'll definitely look the other way and i uh, recently read a rumor that roberto carlos is being uh courted to be the first coach of this really yeah well that's exciting yeah, Brazilian. Of course, yeah. in the article I read, it mentioned that perhaps the move was to appeal to Miami's Spanish-speaking Which population. is funny. Because he's Brazilian. And, and he, he speaks, speaks Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> Portuguese. It, it, it bugged me in a weird way. Also, it was from like a Miami publication. That sounds like, like you, racism. You, like, you know that this isn't the same thing. <laughs> you know better than that. 
That's like claiming Spanish and Italian are the same language. Like this isn't this is the same thing. Oh, well, we do have similar. a piece of news here about Spanish speakers, though. Here let, we go. Let me say that um, U.S. men's national team forward Her- Hercules Gomez. It's Hercules, has, by the way. I think it's Hercules. more fun to say Hercules. It's wrong. Just like Pulisic. Anyway, um, Hercules Gomez has signed with the Seattle Sounders. One-year deal, I think, if I remember correctly. I mean, that sounds about right. Does that surprise you that it's no. only a one-year deal? No. Uh, but, I mean, good for Herc. I've always liked him. He's very entertaining on Twitter. If you he know, is. He's a great, he's he's a great Twitter guy, yeah. Uh, for a really long time when he was playing in, for various teams in Mexico, he would troll the Seattle Sounders fans because somehow they always ended up playing, no matter what team he was playing for, they'd always end up playing Seattle in CCL matches, and they would defeat him. And he loved it. Uh, but now he's their guy. And I, I like the move. I think it's a good move for Seattle because they need help. They haven't won anything. <laughs> They're yeah. looking pretty raw up there. Um, they need the help. He's a veteran. He's played for ages. I was surprised that Toronto let him go to begin with. Me too. I think I think if you're a Seattle Sounders, it's, it's really – frankly, it's invaluable having a veteran – off the bench because he, here's the thing he's going to be coming off the bench but a veteran off the bench who's who's got big game pressure experience on him mm-hmm. um when it comes down to the wire and you have to be playing these matches for your playoff life to have that 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 person off the bench who if you're behind you know that you can trust them to make the correct mental decision in the right moment absolutely he's probably going to function for them similar to how chad barrett did where like yeah he's not going to start a lot of matches but you know when he goes in like he knows how to do his job he's going to be fine it'll be taken care of and uh, hercules gomez said he didn't like how he was treated on his way out of toronto and he feels he has a chip on his shoulder but he does prefer playing with a chip on his shoulder and he says he has something to prove that could be very uplifting if you're a seattle sounders fan 100 percent I don't think it's going to be a big cap hit for them. I don't think it's going to cost them a fortune. I think it's a good addition. It's a good move. Yeah. Uh, let's go around the league really quickly, Jeff, before we oh leave. Gen- we got some um, league matches this weekend. Let's start on Friday night, New England at home against the New York Red Bulls. That's on Uni Moss at 7 p.m. I'm having so much trouble yeah, me too, putting my man. finger on New England. I really am. Even like I liked what I saw. I know you did not for other reasons, but I liked what I saw from them in their New York match. But I, they're so weird. <laughs> it's just so strange. I'm going to have to take New England here, but I'm only going to give them a 1-0. I only have maybe like 55% confidence, but I'm going to take like a 1-0 for New England at home on Friday. I think I'm going to take everyone's least favorite scoreline, which is a 1-1 <sighs> draw. Beautiful. Uh, only because I think the Red Bulls are, I think, starting to figure out how they want to play this season. Whereas New England, you know, you're going to have um, Lee Wynn coming off of an international break. There's a little bit of disjointedness. I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Um, Saturday, we have a lot of games. We're just going to focus on a few for our picks here. FC mm-hmm. Dallas at home against Columbus Crew. Mm. That is at 9 p.m. Eastern time. FC Dallas. They have the athletes, and you know they can score. Columbus is still in a situation where they're starting to look like they're playing a little bit better soccer, but they still haven't figured out how to put the goals on the board yet. Mm. It's mm-hmm. an interesting matchup, I think. Okay, there, It's okay. in Frisco, Texas. I think that's a key, key it statistic. It is a key thing that it's in Frisco, and, and the crew have not looked good. Not yet. I'm taking Dallas 2, Columbus 1. 
I think I think you got the Columbus score right, but I think Dallas might put three past them. I think right really? now Columbus playing the way they are, going into Texas to play this Dallas team is going to have a hard time. I'm going to say three one Dallas. Also <laughs> Saturday night Vancouver at home against your beloved LA Galaxy. Mm. Uh, it's 10 at 10 p.m. PM Eastern. You Ugh. know Vancouver. It's funny. They 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 won over the weekend, scoring a PK goal. They haven't really scored a ton of goals out of open no. play. And Galaxy have been playing. They're sort of hit and miss. Yeah, we're on the road, so we're probably going to forget how to play soccer, yes. like they do, especially early in the season. So on the road in Vancouver, I'm interested to hear your take on this. Oh, look at that. I'm going to say I, I think this is going to has 1-1 one, one written all over it personally. I I'm also putting it at a 1-1. One, one. And I I think it, they're going to both be like ugly goals. It's not going to be a pretty game. It's not going to be one. a pretty no. game. I think the fans there deserve a better game than they're going to get, especially with the names that are going to be trotted out on that field, but um I don't know. I need to see more from Galaxy's uh, away form. It, it's been a big question mark for the past two seasons. Like, they can't play outside of the StubHub Center. It's like, they have to learn. <laughs> they have to learn. You have to play elsewhere. And I'm also interested to see this this sort of slightly older lineup that the Galaxy has decided to go with this year is going to be playing against a far more physical and athletic team in Vancouver. Vancouver can run. They can run. And and so I'm run. interested to see how they can deal with that in a hostile role environment that you're going to get in Vancouver. Lastly, Sunday evening, Orlando at home against Portland Timbers. The home field advantage of the Citrus Bowl against the defending MLS Cup champions. Ooh. First of all, Ginger's must-see match. Yeah, you got to watch this. I think it's going to be a good one. Sunday at at 8 p.m. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm also curious if uh, Aurelian Collin will play. I'm curious if Kaka is going to play in this match. Is he healthy? What's what's his deal? You know, last I understood, it was a sort of a a week-by-week type of a situation. All right. So it's interesting to see how that plays out. So he claims that he's ready to play, but here's the thing. Every player player says says that. Yeah. They could have a compound fracture and they'd say they're ready to (laughs) play. You can't go by that. Right. You need someone else to make the decision. Oh, this is a tough one. I am going to take an Orlando win at home. I'm going to take a 2-1. But if Kaká is not healthy, this is going to be rough. This is going to be a really tough one. Yeah, I'm going to say 1-1 only because I think right now Portland has the overall talent edge over Orlando. Mm -hmm. Because I think right now this team, if this team had had a fully healthy Kaká, Laren sort of hook up the entire season, they were starting to get back into the rhythm of things, it would be a different situation. Mm -hmm. But even if Kaká gets in there, they're used to playing without him. He plays very differently. He likes to run at players. He likes to turn away from players. And all of a sudden you're in the attacking third. That's not play that you get out of the midfield that you've been starring the last few weeks. So I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a learning curve for that team. Um, so I'm going to say 1-1. One, a couple of other matches, though, on the weekend. Chicago at home against Philly. That's going to be a great one to watch. Please tune in for that. I think those are two teams that might surprise some players this year, especially Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia, if Philadelphia yeah. can get a, a road win here against Chicago, it solidifies all the work that they've been doing so far. I think we are going to see a road win. I think uh, so, too. We've got Colorado-Toronto. Let's see. Let's like see great. how Colorado. <laughs> I don't let's, think let's, that's that great of a match. Well, here's the thing. This is the test of all the strides that Colorado has made so far. You have a legit team coming in. Let's see what you can do against that opposition. Yeah, fair, fair. Sport in like Kansas that. City, a home against Real Salt Lake. Um, it's a fortress they have there in SKC. 
Salt Lake can still result though if they get good play out of Beckerman, Mofsisian, and and crew. So it's I think it still could be a a snatch and grab job if you're RSL. I've got a lot of faith in Sporting in this one. Seattle at home against Montreal. Uh, That's going to be a good match. That should be a fun match. I think Montreal could go and get a victory in Seattle. It's it's going to be tough, but if you're going to do it right now, is the time to do it. Seattle uh, needs to win this match. And lastly, San Jose at home against DC United. That's also on Saturday evening. I think San Jose is in a situation where they need to set the tone in this match. See, San Jose has set the tone in a lot of matches that they've played, and they've got some results this season that they don't. They don't. I don't think anyone really expected them to get. DC United has looked listless, as I was saying earlier on. They sort of look like as if they're waiting for that one player to make a special move. I think. Fortress of Vaya is going to help out San Jose in this match. Is that what you call everything a fortress these days? I at least All hope it's a fortress. Yeah, I just like the word fortress. I got that impression. I got that impression. I've got San Jose in this one. I'm not impressed with DC United so far. I need to see something else. It's because it's a fortress. Ways that you can get in touch with us, <laughs> gingers, at Straight Red Pod on Twitter. That's the show. At Jeff is famous on Twitter. That's Jeff at Alex S Kibler on Twitter. That's me. Straight Red at iCloud.com. Straight Red Podcast on Instagram, and Straight Red on Facebook. Jeff, before we leave and before we go to quiet time with Jeff, mm-hmm. I want to quickly get your thoughts on two pieces of ginger mail that we've received in the last couple of oh, weeks. My goodness, those pieces of ginger male two first of all thaddeus walcott longtime listener to the show um mm-hmm. is writing around how he thinks i'm an idiot for suggesting that i get a tramp stamp about the the logo of the show but also mm-hmm. he, wants to, he wants to, to comment that he says that it's been bothering for him for a while what all things bring up is ross county is the best club in the scotch premiership maybe not points wise but they just won the cup it's a great time to jump on the staggies bandwagon for what it's worth the other objectively best clubs to follow by country are napoli celta vigo the new england revolution hey. arsenal and saint Pauli in the german second division he says, good show. UMass is better than VCU, and the new American home kits are abysmal. Thaddeus Walcott. I just want your opinion on the following. Arsenal as the best team to pick in the Premier League? Really? That's Here's the thing. You had us the entire time here. You made some funny jokes. You made fun of me. That's always plus that, that for the show. Well for me. It plays it really plays well. Very well for but me. But you picked Napoli and Arsenal and uh, New England Revolution as the best bandwagon clubs to pick. You know, I got to give him credit for St. Pauli because I don't think I've ever seen them play a match in my life. <laughs> you so, got the, you, you've got that going for you. So I feel like that one I want to give credit because it's a deep cut. He didn't take a Bundesliga team. He took a Bundesliga 2 team. That's yeah. fantastic. Good for you. That's fantastic. I want more people to take like, oh, my favorite team is this third division team in France. <laughs> like that's who I follow. That, then, then you're a real supporter. You got a crappy team that you love. We also uh, got a, a, an email from Dave in Portland, who's a, a, a listener of our show as well. And, and he which was Portland, the, the uh, real Portland, one? Maine. No, just kidding. Portland, uh, Oregon. And he's a, he's agreeing with your statement that he welcomes the movement, especially in rivalry matches, to over referee games, making sure that games don't get out of hand. Um, and he he references the similar situation that happened last year with the Seattle Portland U.S. Open Cup game, which that game did get out of hand. It was it got ridiculous. Out of hand. It got really out of hand. It got out of hand. And those, I, I understand that that makes like good highlight reel footage, but this 
if if we're trying to be taken seriously, like as a league, and you're supposed to be like one of the best, it's like you got to get this stuff under control. This isn't just a bunch of hooligans out here. They just came out of the pub and now they're playing a game. Like, and he raises an interesting point here too, which is that I'm just fine with him staying. This is a quote. I'm, I'm just fine with him staying on top of the game. If we want to continue to recruit and develop skilled technical players in this league, we need to give them some protection and allow them to play technical soccer without it devolving into the 20 plus foul fest that MLS sometimes produces. Great quote from Dave. Thank you for that information. I agree with that wholeheartedly, despite the fact that we had this argument last week on the show. Um, so wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Slow down. Does that mean you agree with me? No. Uh, but he also oh. says, and while we are on the Portland, uh, he's not worried about Portland's goal production. They have five goals in three games so far this year. Jack Mack will hopefully get some good substitute goals. As long as they can get some production from their wingers, Milano and Espria, they will have sufficient goal scored. I'm not expecting a breakout goal scoring season from Nagby. I'm not either. He thanks her for the show. I want to thank Dave and Thaddeus for writing to us. Guys, if you want to send, and, and gals, gingers, if you want to send us uh, straight red emails at straightred at iCloud.com. Please reach out to us with that ginger mail. It's now time for everyone's favorite part of the show, Quiet Time with Jeff. Jeff, what do you have for the gingers out there this evening? Over the past week, I've had two incidents that have proven that I have gotten old. Mm. Incident one, discovered that I am now, for some reason, able to grow gray facial hair. Mm. Not a yes. fan. Not a fan. Yeah. There were only two of them, but it was two too many. It's two more than zero. Yeah. It was like all of a sudden. Like this yeah. hadn't happened before. So that was shocking and terrible. And then over the weekend, my back just started hurting for no reason. <laughs> Did you throw your back out? I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, so if I can offer you any adv- – I had to take a leave. This is the first time in my life. That whoa, like, I, whoa, I, I whoa. Need- you you called out of work because of your back? No, oh, I didn't call no, out of work. No, I'm sorry. Work. I thought you took a leave as in L-E-A-V-E from oh, work no, 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 because of your back. No, a leave. This episode of Straight Red brought to you was, by a leave. What's it going to take out of work? <laughs> just spend most of my job sitting. I'd be fine. Um, just suck it up. Like, I've been paid, but who cares? Tune in next week, oh, Gingers. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. My advice to you, Gingers, all of you, don't get old. Valuable advice for all of us. Tune in next week, Gingers, for Straight Red, brought to you by Aleve Pain Reliever. Go forth in soccer, Gingers. It was the strangest thing. Like my, my You just back. woke up and your back hurt? No, it wasn't even like I woke up that way. Like I went outside, like went to the grocery store. <laughs> Came back and I'm like, my back is my back is me. dying. I'm suffering right now. And I did like no physical activity. <laughs> oh, you're an old man, Jeff. I'm an old man. It's over. I'm almost thirty three. <laughs>